This episode is brought to you by Gito. Gito is the easiest way to start earning MEV rewards on Solana through liquid staking. Get your soul, stake it with Gito, and get instant access to liquidity through their liquid staking token, Gito Soul. Get started today at gito.network slash staking. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Lightspeed. Today, we have Keone and Kevin from Monad. Keone used to be at Jump Trading, where he led the high-frequency trading team, and Kevin was a core uh, protocol dev at Solana Labs. Guys, I want to start with, in 2021, was the year of the L1 trade. Um, you had Solana, Phantom, Near, Avalanche, uh, and others. And then in 2022, that meta switched to what you had people called next-gen chains, like Aptos and Sui, who were leveraging the move programming language, really getting away from the EVM. And then now in 2023, everyone's just launching an L2. Uh, Monad's doing the exact opposite. Not only are you launching an L1, but you're leveraging the EVM. So the question is, um, are you geniuses? Are you crazy? But I think to start, what is Monad at a high level? What is the thesis behind it? Sure thing. Monad is a new EVM layer one with full bytecode EVM compatibility that brings pipelining and parallelization to the Ethereum virtual machine. Uh, we have a number of different optimizations that, at different le levels of the stack that ultimately deliver super high performance while preserving backward compatibility for the Ethereum virtual machine. And our team has been working on Monad for about 18 months now. Um, originally, um, a good number of members of our team come from high-frequency trading backgrounds as well as uh, backgrounds in kernel development and just more general um, high-performance system building in the technology sector. When you say yeah. pipelining, I just want to be cognizant that maybe some of our audience might not know what that is. Can you explain what pipelining is? Sure thing. Pipelining is the practice of utilizing all of the resources in the system efficiently by introducing stages of work and then scheduling that work intelligently so that we can maximize uh, all the resources of the system. Cool. Um, one thing that I'm interested about here is um, you say you said uh, with backwards compatibility, uh, which is a very interesting concept um, in, in, the, in, the, in the because you're also making the EVM parallel, which it's not right now. Can you talk a bit about a bit more about like exactly what that means? Like what, how exactly will the backwards compatibility work? Like will existing EVM applications be able to use Monad or Monad um, right away? Like, what does that look like? Sure thing. Monad is a blockchain that in terms of the, the interface to users, as well as the interface to other infrastructure like MetaMask or Etherscan, um, really looks like pretty similar on the outside. It's really just the optimizations internally that uh, allow the Monad blockchain to execute transactions and, and uh, maintain shared global state at a much higher rate. These, um, in terms of the, let's talk about the backward compatibility for a second. So uh, blocks in Monad are still linear. Transactions within those blocks are still linear. Um, and it's just at the time of execution, uh, the node, individual nodes have a bunch of strategic parallelization to execute that list of transactions in a more efficient way while still arriving at the end state as if the transactions have just been executed one after the other. Yeah, so like the EVM today is like single threaded, right? And so like the very simple strategic thing is just like use the 40 years of, you know, like 
computer science that people have figured out to make things multi-core and like run an EVM on all the cores that you can that are free. And so that's the general idea is just like you can run a bunch of EVMs in parallel and then do like a state sync at the end before you commit to the block. Yeah, Kevin, on that, I know you were at Solana Labs and probably what Solana first got famous for was parallel execution. Why is it that parallel execution hasn't been brought to the EVM yet? Like, is there some breakthrough that you're working on at Monad or yeah, what's the secret there? Um, I think it's just like a hard engineering problem, right? And I, I don't know, like, uh, it's like, I don't know, like the thing that got me interested in Monad is because it's like such an obvious like win problem, you know, like you, you propose like a parallel EVM. And it's like, okay, why has no one done this before? And so like when I when I found Monad, I, I got like really excited. I was like, oh, wow, this is like do it, you know, like the classical hardware optimization way. And like, yeah, the EVM prices constraints on like what we can do to like, you know, stay backwards compatible. But there's a lot you can do besides that. And so like just the expertise of James and Keone and all their years of, you know, building high fidelity systems. Um, they like essentially figured it out, right? So at a high level, it's um, like an STM-based approach. Um, but essentially what it means is uh, you can execute a bunch of things in parallel and then do an analysis at the end, make sure that if you would have uh, executed them in serial, it would come out the same way, and then essentially order them that way before you commit them. And then if there's any conflicts, um, you only have to ever execute uh, things one more time. It's just the way that the algorithm works. You're always making forward progress. Um, so in a system like Solana, yeah, like you can do it, you know, the most optimized way, but it's kind of at the expense of like DevX, right? Because the front end, you have to declare all your dependencies up front. And so Monad kind of like brings this in the best possible way that you can do it like to the EVM. One thing I'm interested in, Kioni, is that on the Ethereum website, uh, they they talk about the blockchain trilemma, which is the idea that you know you have this pyramid or triangle of performance, uh, security, and decentralization, and you must pick two. You can't have all three. Um, and the only way to actually have three is to do it via L2s and fractal scale, or not fractal scaling, but just scaling via rollups. Um, mm -hmm. And people who believe this are called or said to be Ethereum aligned. And the ones who don't are, are not so aligned. So it seems like you guys maybe aren't aligned there. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on the, the trilemma? Do you think um, Monad or, yes, Monad, does it, does it solve it well, do you think? Or like, how do you guys think about just scalability in general? Yeah, I didn't realize it was on the website. I know that uh, Vitalik has written about this, this notion of a trilemma in the past. I think at the end of the day, there are these different axes on which, you know, one could could grade a given blockchain system, and they're all really important considerations. I think of it as like, you know, if there are these three axes, then you have an efficient frontier, which is the like a surface in this three dimensional space that uh, maybe is like the efficient frontier of that we know of right now based on the systems that we have. It's still possible to make algorithmic improvements to deliver more scalability without sacrificing decentralization at all, or more decentralization without sacrificing scalability at all. Uh, but those improvements just, you know, they require re-architecting uh, potentially large parts of the system in order to achieve those. I think that from what I've seen, the 
community has backed away a little bit from the notion of a very hard um, trilemma um, or like, a, you know, an absolutist, like there is never any way that we can, you know, improve on one of these axes without sacrificing on the other ones. I think that that's more maybe like rhetoric from a couple of years ago or like how people interpret it. Um, but from everything that, you know, I've seen in, in uh, you know, my interactions with researchers in the Ethereum space, like uh, people are, uh, you know, like acknowledge that there is opportunities to improve Ethereum in all different directions. Um, and there's a lot of active research that's going on in different directions that ultimately are promising and that have the potential to help Ethereum and more generally the crypto space scale to many more users than it does right now. Because at the end of the day, that's what's really important is how do you support an application that has, say, 10 million daily active users where each user is transacting 100 times a day? Because that's a billion transactions per day. That's 10,000 transactions per second. Like, how, how are we going to how are we going to support that? Um, that's what ultimately matters. Like, if you think about the scale of Twitter or the scale of WeChat or the scale of um, Visa or the, the scale of NASDAQ, like, these are systems that have billions of transactions per day. Um, so we're not at, at a level of adoption in the crypto space where, um, you know, those stresses at that scale are evident, but that's also because, you know, Ethereum processes about a million transactions per day on its own. And then, you know, all the rollups combined are another, um, you know, a couple of million transactions per day. So the systems right now are kind of, you know, limiting the scale to which any application could actually um, achieve product market fit and grow its user base. And, um, I, you know, a lot of efforts that are going on in the space right now are efforts to try to push that forward. They're just in different directions that um, that actually have, a, you know, potentially a lot of overlap as well. The roll-up efforts that are going on, they're very orthogonal to the efforts that Monad is doing. Monad is super focused on making execution really performant. And, you know, roll-ups are really focused on moving computation off of the main chain into a, a separate chain and then having commitments back to the main chain that, um, you know, memorialize state, um, commit a state route, commit sufficient data so that that state route can be proven, um, either through a fraud proof or validity proof. And they're actually, you know, like at the end of the day, those technologies are completely orthogonal and could perhaps even be combined um, to make roll-up nodes more performance. So I think at the end of the day, there's just different directions that are going on in parallel that can all help improve the space. And um, yeah, I think that uh, the modern view of the trilemma is not that it's like a hard, um, hard trade-off, but more that it's like where we are right now, um, but that additional research improvements can help move us um, upward and to the right in terms of this uh, trade-off curve. Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing I would say is like, uh, we're like SBC right now, you know, very like uh, academia forward conference and Dank Red Game Attack talk yesterday. The thing that struck me like immediately is he showed the scalability trilemma and he goes, like, this isn't, this is like where we were years ago. Like we've moved past this. And so I think like the Ethereum community, like at least on the research side is very aware that like um, you can make optimizations, you know, and preserve these things. And I think like, um, at least on the decentralization front, um, there's at least, the way I think about it is like, okay, if we have 
like a certain amount of bandwidth coming into our internet and we're not using that all like because we only have like a single threaded system like fundamentally you're kind of just like wasting the extra electricity like you're paying for some amount like whether you're at home internet or service provider or whatever right and so if you can scale your system up to the limit of bandwidth your decentralization is just whatever an individual operator wants to like put through their node right and so if we're not limited by like how much bandwidth we can consume it it, it kind of becomes a thing is like okay like pick how much bandwidth you want to consume and like anyone can participate in the network right and you're not all of a sudden like limited to like what node you're running um, it's more of like I'm already paying this much for internet. How much do I want to give it to my node? And then let's let's just make sure that that's used most efficiently. Um, and so, yeah, like the whole decentralization thing, I think like it's just like very nuanced, right? There's like a lot of different ways you can look at the problem. But, you know, there's like Nakamoto coefficient, like geographic distribution, um, uh, like where your nodes are being run as far as like data center wise um, or, you know, on bare metal or at home. And so like, when anyone kind of drills down on one, it becomes like it, it becomes like a more nuanced conversation. Um, uh, where I'm looking at it with Monad is just like, look, fundamentally, like we build a system that will scale up to the limit of the bandwidth you're willing to feed it. Like you can choose your level of decentralization as a node runner, right? And then you're just like using your compute and your I/O resources like as efficiently as possible. The one thing that I think would be really interesting is to introduce the audience to remote execution attacks. If you could maybe oh, add yeah. on to that, because I think security-wise, a lot of people just think about what's the economic value staked on a chain. And I think, yeah, if you have a really interesting take on that. I mean, <laughs> my take on it is like economic security matters up to the point where it's until it's cheaper to bribe a dev to put a bug in some client, <laughs> right? Because like, if you could just like bribe someone with a billion dollars to sneak a bug into like a client, then like they can, you know, execute on that bug and essentially steal all the stake. And so like at a certain level, you know, like I don't know, it's a pretty objective level, right? But like security, like economic security only goes up to the level to where, you know, if it's a hundred billion dollars, if, if so, like a nation state actor really wanted to attack the chain, it's a lot cheaper to get one of their people hired at a client company and like put a bug in the code. Like just the reality well, I mean, is how you would, yeah. It would have to go through code review and, um, you know, audits from other validators and whatnot as well, though, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think, like, given the right incentives, like, you know, like, I, I think it would be cheaper than, you know, $100 billion. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, I actually have a different view on this, which is that I think at the end of the day, there's the social layer of consensus that um, ultimately, if you know, it were very obvious that someone had sneaked a bug in. Um, you know, there is ultimately that that social layer which could get invoked and um, you know make a decision about a hard fork. Like at the end of the day, blockchains are hard forking all the time. Anytime there's a major upgrade, so um, I, I I think that that's the ultimately the last line of defense and. You know, that also serves as a deterrent because it wouldn't be worth it to bribe someone to do that, knowing that it would end, ultimately end up getting rolled back anyway. Um, you would have a double spend problem in that case as the briber where you would pay the pay the person the bribe, but then not actually get the result that you wanted. So I, I I'm ultimately, I think that that's one of the powerful things about blockchain is that because there's that, you know, it's really just shared global state um, with 
consensus among all of these participants that causes there to be value, causes it to be a useful system that's keeping track of a whole bunch of state that powers a whole bunch of applications because of that's all driven by the fact that, you know, we just agree about what the balances are. We agree that like this code base and this list of transactions replayed, like that's the current state. So I think social consensus is like, you know, we talk, it's talked about a lot in the research community, uh, but it is, you know, that's ultimately the backstop. And then the same thing for 51% attack, like, or, um, you know, 66.7% attack, whatever it is, um, depending on the the particular uh, consensus mechanism and, and uh, threshold for a supermajority. Like at the end of the day, if an attacker were to go attack a proof of stake chain by accumulating uh, 51% or two thirds of the stake, they would accumulate it. They'd spend a lot of time buying whatever that you know token is. Um, and then it would just get slashed and under social consensus. So it'd actually be very good for all the people that didn't you know, participate in that attack because the supply of the token would be massively reduced. So I think that, um, yeah, there's a lot of reasons for proof of stake networks uh, to see them as as having a lot of security. And part of that is the economic cost of mounting an attack. And then part of it is social consensus that underlies everything. There is this common notion, and you guys have already touched on this a bit, but I just want to make it very obvious for anyone listening. There is this notion that you know, to get a faster blockchain without sacrificing decentralization or or if you increase, like to get a faster blockchain, you need to increase hardware requirements. And that presumably means you um, lessen decentralization, which by the way, I don't, I don't believe it's true, but you know, that's a common um, stance. Assuming you guys actually achieve this performance with, um, in, in production with like reasonable node requirements, then like, isn't it, Shouldn't maybe the Ethereum community think a bit more about adopting some of your um, tech for Ethereum itself and just adopts more of a, you know, monad-centric scaling roadmap in, in some regards as opposed to relying purely on L2s? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's actually, I'm glad that you asked that because it, it um, allows me to sort of take a step back and uh, try to describe at a high level some of the major changes that are coming in monad. Monad ultimately is delivering pipelining to the Ethereum virtual machine in four major areas. I'll just mention those four areas really quickly and then let you guys ask about them if you're curious about any of them. So the four areas are state access pipelining, transaction execution pipelining, pipelining between consensus and execution, and then pipelining within the consensus mechanism itself. Um, and when you stack all of these improvements together, and like I said, pipelining is the practice of building up these stages of work and then uh, executing stages uh, basically in parallel um, for different streams of work that are going on. Um, basically taking all of these pipelining optimizations together, that's what ultimately allows Monad to process transactions um, super efficiently and take advantage of all of the resources on the machine. Um, but I think that's the super high level answer to your question of like, how, how is it that, um, without, you know, significantly changing the hardware requirements from the Ethereum hardware spec, uh, Monad is able to achieve this. And the answer is these different algorithmic improvements that 
are enabling pipelining in these different different areas. It's essentially like node chips today that don't have multi-cores on them. So like you, you couldn't even like run an Ethereum node on a single core machine. Like they don't exist, right? And so like pipelining is just like, okay, like let's just fully utilize every inch of the hardware, right? Um, and you can essentially like stack um, the way Mona is designed is where like um, it's honestly kind of similar to um, uh, Solana in which like quartering and like execution are separated. Um, and what happens in Monad is because of this separation in different ways, um, you can do them on different threads. And so like you might be coming to ordering on one block and then also executing on the other block. And it might be one block apart, but they're on top of each other. And so once it's called pipelining, because once the pipe gets full on this system, you can imagine having like a bunch of these stages like stacked on top of each other executing in parallel. Kevin, is that um, hot stuff that Monad is using that modified um, Tendermint? Correct. Uh, yeah, it's we use hot stuff. I guess modified hot stuff is our consensus mechanism. Okay, so with that, when you're a Cosmos chain, you can only have about 100 validators, I think, because of like communication overhead. How does Monad get around that? Or like, what is the optimal validator set anyways that you're going for? Um, yeah, so I think there might be uh, some stuff that's confusing because originally our plan was to use Tendermint, um, which then would have inherited that um, sort of constraint on the validator set due to the all-to-all communication aspect of Tendermint. Um, However, um, as of about six months or, or so ago, uh, we've actually switched to this modified hot stuff. Um, so, you know, unlike the Cosmos chains, um, Monad does not have this sort of uh, upper limit on number of validators. Um, with that said, we do think that the, um, you know, initial uh, Monad, like initial version of Monad that, that goes public, like, probably will have on the order of 150 validators, um, but uh, has the potential to grow as, as time goes on and as further improvements are made. Yeah, Monad has, I think it's single slot finality. Um, and also, which in Solana, you could say that in an optimistic way as well, but it takes 32 confirmations to actually have a block be confirmed. Uh, so you have single slot finality, and then it's one second block time. What is the major... Uh, bottleneck for Monad and being able to scale? Because I think right now on the website, you say it can go up to 10,000 TPS. Um, but in the future, you're hoping to hit like the theoretical limit of 400,000. I think right now with the Ethereum roadmap, um, even with potentially dank sharding or proto-dank sharding, that still only scales into the couple hundreds of TPS. So what is the bottleneck for, for Monad? Um, there are two bottlenecks for Monad. One is on the bandwidth side. So basically, as Kevin was mentioning earlier, the um, just the the spec to which we're willing to uh, to which uh, nodes, you know, the minimum bandwidth requirement for nodes. Um, the expectation for this requirement is 100 megabits up down. Um, so we think that that's a you know a, a reasonable kind of like middle ground um, it, relative to other blockchains in the space. But that is, you know, one of the one of the bottlenecks, and then the other bottleneck is execution and the extent to which Monad is able to efficiently parallelize work and efficiently parallelize disk reads and writes, so that you know we can execute as many transactions as possible. And it's pretty nice, but like these two separate components are both kind of pushed up at their limit, um, and due to the separation of consensus and execution. Um, which Kevin and I were both mentioning before, uh, both 
consensus the process and execution the process are um, you know able to be pushed up against their limits because they're running in parallel um, executing separate stages of work at the same time one thing I'm curious about is so Solana is maybe the most directly comparable blockchain right now in terms of parallelization and pipelining and um, being able to you know squeeze performance out of hardware. So Solana's design philosophy is essentially like um, like a blockchain's superpower is globally shared single state that syncs at speed of light. Essentially, um, is that like how do you guys think like QA, like what is your design philosophy for what you want Monad to be like? Are you like a massive believer in the single shared global state thesis? Do you want Monad to be used mostly for like you know uh, order books, DeFi trading? Um, like, what is your philosophy? Like, what is the the vision for the chain? The philosophy is to enable shared global state um, that maximizes the resources that are available. Um, so maximizes this uh, bandwidth that uh, nodes have made available, as well as the processing power of those nodes. Um, I think there's different efforts that are going on in the crypto space to scale uh, blockchains scale decentralized apps in different ways. I think the roll-up idea, like I said, is orthogonal to the effort to make execution really performant. Um, and you know, there there are potentially merits to to that as well. Um, but we're just solving a very fundamental problem that um, we perceive in the space, which is that a single blockchain, like a single unit of um, shared global state uh, needs to be a lot more dense. It needs to be able to process a lot more transactions on its own. And then, you know, once we get there, then we could talk about sort of introducing either horizontal scaling in the form of like subnets or supernets or whatever you want to call them, or in terms of vertical scaling, you know, with rollups and so on. Each one of those units needs to be a lot more um, performant in order to ultimately deliver the scale that's needed to support mass user adoption. Hey everyone, quick break to tell you about Gito. Gito is the number one liquid staking provider in Solana. Gito has been known for the MEB software, and now they're the fastest growing liquid staking provider in the Solana ecosystem. Solana DeFi summer is heating up, and what asset do you want to use in DeFi? Liquid staking tokens. Why? Because with Gito, you can take your soul, stake it, and get instant access to liquidity through their liquid staking token, Gito Soul. You can then use Gito Soul throughout the Solana DeFi ecosystem while earning yields through MEV rewards and staking rewards with Gito. And Gito makes staking super simple. You can take your soul, stake it, get instant liquidity, and start earning rewards all within three clicks. And not only do they make it simple, they make it secure. Gito has seven audits, they have more than a million souls staked, and they're one of the most respected teams in all of DeFi. Geo is for whales who need deep liquidity. It's also for people like me and you who just want to get started with liquid staking. You have your soul. Why not stake it, earn some yield, and start dabbling in Solana DeFi? So go get started today. Check them out at Gito.network slash staking. That's Gito.network slash staking. I'll put a link in the show notes. Use the link so they know that I sent you. And go get started today. Hey everyone. We'll get back to the show in a minute, but I want to let you know that we've got our permissionless conference coming up. This is our conference with Bankless. That's the biggest and best conference in DeFi. It's going to be in Austin, Texas this year. Yep, I know you love it. They got tacos, barbecue, Barton Springs. Got it all. September 11th through the 13th. 
you've been in crypto for a while, you know that the bear market conferences are the best conferences because those are the ones where all the alphas had. The people that are still in crypto all really want to be there. It's going to be great for building a network, for learning a lot. And look, we've got a phenomenal lineup of speakers that include people like Hasu, Stani, Christine Moy, and Kyle Samani. Talking about ZK Tech, rollups, account abstraction, MEV, app chains, and more. Look, I'm damn excited. Because you're a listener of Lightspeed, you're going to get a special discount. Type in discount code Lightspeed30 and you'll get 30% off your ticket. That's right. Just type in Lightspeed30 when buying a permissionless ticket and get 30% off. Click the link at the bottom of this episode and go get it now because prices are going up every two weeks. All right, back to the show. So two follow-ups on that. Why why choose the EVM? Obviously, the EVM probably has the best product market fit in crypto, uh, but we are early. And also a lot of people talk about how it's it is similar to JavaScript and that it's not, you know, optimized. And I think that's the goal that you're going for. So why why the EVM and also why not an L2? Like why not make Monad an L2? I think you have to start somewhere. Like you have to be focused. Um, and it's pretty clear that. EVM is dominant standard for most smart contract developers right now. So um, just makes sense to support these developers who are working right now to build uh, impactful apps. And yeah, it's just, uh, you know, the straightest line to helping decentralized app scale overall. So that's why we, that's why Monad is, is super focused on EVM execution as opposed to Wasm or some other runtime. In terms of the um, question about L2s, uh, Monad is designed to maximize performance and minimize costs and also deliver a really high degree of decentralization. And with the current architecture of rollups, we didn't feel that uh, we would be able to accomplish those goals um, as an L2. I would also just add that it's really, you know, our our team's expertise is just high-performance execution. It's building trading machines that can take, you know, hundreds of millions of packets a day and very quickly, like within single-digit microseconds, respond and send orders back to the exchange. That's our skill. And I think with any team, like, you should do what you're really good at and then you know, figure out how to integrate with other other um, builders in the space who are maybe building orthogonal components. So, you know, like we're not really UX uh, people right now. Like we're not, we don't have expertise on um, really optimizing, delivering really clean, crisp user interfaces. Uh, but it's great that other people in the space are are really focusing on that. And um, yeah, I just think that there's a, it's an argument of specialization. Like we feel like, uh, you know, executions where we should focus and where we can really make an impact on the space. I'm more bullish on interoperability solutions than like I have been previously, um, essentially talking to a bunch of researchers here. Um, and I think the difference between like an L1 and an L2 at some point will get solved. Like I was talking to a guy yesterday who figured out how to do like one second proving times for like a ZK interoperability layer. And so you can have these, like I do believe like we're going to have these properties of essentially like trustless um, shared state between, you know, any, like it essentially it could be a layer two, it could be a layer one, it, it doesn't really matter, right? And so like when we're building like a highly optimized system, I think it just makes more sense to build like a highly optimized system, right? And then um, let the smart people working on all the cryptography build the interoperability layers for us. Well, we have talked a lot 
a lot about the technical facets of blockchain so far. But of course, uh, blockchains are a little more um, multifaceted than that. You know, there's the economic considerations, the social considerations. One thing I've been super impressed by, maybe the most impressed by actually so far with Monad is kind of the social layer in the community. Um, I, I know you guys have like a Telegram chat where when you enter, there's like a tailored message for you and, and whatnot. It's pretty fun. Um, how do you, Keone, how do you think about the, the community and the social layer of blockchains? Do you think, um, like how crucial do you think it is to cultivate that community to do the kind of the evangelizing for you and maybe a shared set of values? I think it's everything, honestly. I think that, you know, it just goes back to the roots of shared global state. Like I said before, the concept of shared global state is literally that, you know, we all have our own computers, but those computers have the same, you know, all of the same smart contracts with all the same individual states inside of them. And they're in agreement. That's what's valuable. It's like, you know, if I go and change the values of my computer and then Kevin goes and changes the ones in him, his, like now we don't have shared global state anymore. And then the whole premise of decentralized applications that um, are not maintained by any centralized authority that are only following the rules of the system, the code is written, uh, all of that goes away. So I think that that, you know, like, it's like this uh, analogy that I give people whenever I, I meet someone who's like not, uh, doesn't know anything about crypto. I just tell them like, imagine kids in a playground that um, just come up with a point system. And so we all start with a hundred points. Like Garrett has a hundred points. Kevin has 100 points, Mert, Keone, everyone has 100 points. We just have like this dictionary in our heads each that says Garrett maps to 100, Kevin maps to 100, et cetera. And then we just start like doing stuff. Like, you know, I challenge Kevin to go across the monkey bars for five points and he does it. And then I just announce to everyone like, okay, go decrement five points from Keone's balance and add them to Kevin's. Everyone does that. Like, that's really all that... Uh, blockchain is like at a very simple very very simplified level is it's just agreement about these balances and then eventually like these points start to have like real economic value in the real world because um you know it's such a useful system of barter and a system of exchange um that it, you know it starts to have meaningful value but it all comes from the fact that like we all agreed upon this this schema and we all have agreement about what the state is so you know, that's my argument from a very technical perspective of why community is so important. Um, but then also, you know, just thinking about the fact that, you know, we're building technology, but, you know, what other technology has such a passionate community? Like, you know, maybe like Tesla, maybe like the SpaceX people, but even then, I feel like it's it's not at the level of crypto where there's, you know, hundreds of thousands to you know, a couple million people on Twitter who are just incredibly passionate about the mission of advancing decentralized applications, decentralized computation. That's really special. That's, um, you know, that's our superpower as an industry is the fact that so many people are passionate about this effort and this mission. They're passionate about the tech. They don't always agree about, you know, the specifics of how how we're going to accomplish this mission. There's a lot of different efforts that are going on in parallel, but, you know, what a blessing to have, um, you know, people that are in this day and age and, and the, you know, we all understand the attention economy and the value of just having like people that care that mind share. That's so 
valuable. So, you know, I would just say, um, you know, with all of us at the Monad team, we really um, appreciate the crypto community in general. And we feel really, really lucky and blessed to have people that um, believe in us and are supporting us and just asking us every day, like, when testnet, when mainnet, like it's because they, you know, they want to try it out. Like they're excited about the future and they can't wait for the future to get here. So, um, yeah, community is everything. Um, you know, none, no blockchain will be successful without acknowledging the importance of its community and um, ultimately uh, delivering the goals that the community um, has in mind. So, to follow up on that, just wanted to touch on maybe the last facet, which is economics, right? And maybe this is even um, kind of coupled with community in a sense, because when the price of the coin goes up, the community is doing well. When it goes down, maybe they get a little uh, uh, feisty. How do you, so there's maybe two schools of thought on tokenomics for an L1. One is maybe the Ethereum school where it's like deflationary and you want to just drive value back to the token. And then there's maybe Solana, which is like, you want to build a base layer that's valuable for businesses to build their stuff on top of it, such that they have an incentive to support the chain. How does how does Monad think about this? What are your thoughts? I think the fundamental thing is there has to be real value that's uh, arriving to to end users. Like at the end of the day, like the reason that you know I think about a bank analogy. Like you have a bank they take deposits and they pay, you know, you take your money to the bank, they give you like some interest on your deposits. And then the bank goes and like loans it out to someone else at a higher rate. The bank makes the spread between the high rate and the low rate. You get the interest on your deposits. And then the person who took out the loan gets money that they can use for some productive endeavor. Everybody wins. Like everybody is gaining some economic benefit from the existence of this bank, as opposed to not having such a thing exist. And I think the same thing really has to be true with any business, um, is that you need to deliver value to your users. So in Ethereum, you know, there's tons of gas fees that are, that are being paid. Um, I'll have to go back and look, but, you know, it's at least a billion dollars in gas fees that were paid over the past year, probably two. Um, I'll have to go back and look, but it's a huge amount of value that is being expended and that users are paying. And the reason they're paying that is because they're getting more than that um, in exchange, or at least they, they believe that they're getting more than that in exchange. Um, you know, they're minting like NFTs and then they, they feel that like the economic value of minting those NFTs and the, you know, willing to pay like this heightened gas fee during that, uh, during that period of time, like it's because they're getting more than that much value back. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, these um, two like visions that you mentioned aren't necessarily separate. Um, like they can both be true if it's the case that the end users are ultimately getting enough value back that, you know, all those gas fees that they're willing to pay is actually, you know, that amount that they're willing to pay is less than the amount of value that they're actually getting back. But it is really predicated on, um, you know, there being a lot of value, you know, useful applications that people are using. So I guess the last thing that I'll say is with Monad, um, 
you know, our team's vision is that by offering a new environment where transactions are very plentiful and likely much cheaper than um, on Ethereum, we can enable a new mode of transactions, like a, a new kind of transaction that's much lower value um, on average, but just much more plentiful. And then, you know, enable a lot of applications that ultimately deliver a lot of value to a lot of users. Um, same as like, you know, trading on an exchange, like millions of people trade on an exchange every day. And, you know, why do they come trade? It's because they're trading, um, you know, they're able to use that to invest in in things that like ultimately like have value and other people are able to sell. And so everyone, everyone can win. The exchange can win, the market makers can win, and the investors can all win. It's just all, you know, resulting from, um, you know, actual things of value happening on the blockchain. I think if I could jump and add like a double click on that is, um, it's just like, like we are EVM. So there's like, parts of the fee model we can't change right or it's like dangerous for contracts right but that doesn't mean like if you're very very efficient about your resources essentially like gas is just like metering compute and if we have way more compute available it can just be metered at a way lower level and i think you'd be surprised like how much lower that can be right like definitely like subsent right just you know using the same gas model and just doing optimizations and actually like discounting for accessing state um like i think it's a slightly different model than solana where they're like how they want to you know charge priority fees to get in front of the block and we can do that too um but for like i think the way at least that i've talked to james a little bit about that he's thinking about is like if you hit a piece of state you've already loaded it into memory you've already like brought it out and done the hard part and so we can actually like discount anyone else that hits that hotspot again um based on like the, you know you don't have to charge for the read bring up or anything like that right and so there's like a lot of gas optimizations you can do while like maintaining the feed model of ethereum to make sure it's like 100 evm compatible um and just like providing like optimized like compute resources how difficult would it be for ethereum to implement these optimizations that you're making like is this a simple client I say simple it's never simple <laughs> is it a client level change or what would they have to do yeah, it's never simple. I think a lot of the changes that uh, Monad is introducing to the Ethereum ecosystem are pretty involved in nature and therefore really just need to be proven out um, in a real live environment with um, you know a lot of real transactions and a lot at stake. But at the end of the day, everything is just software. So um, you know, definitely possible that some of the improvements could be integrated into Ethereum and um, honestly, I think it's something that a, a lot of us on our team are hopeful for as well, that Ethereum can ultimately ultimately adopt some of these changes. Yeah, like arguably the runtime is the most dangerous thing to touch, like in a live system. Um, because if you have like uh, like a state transition that's not expected, like all of a sudden the value prop of a blockchain is put into question, right? So I don't fault Ethereum at all for being hesitant about like making runtime changes and the system holding that much value. Um, so we kind of have this luxury to like go and explore these things that you can't like on a L1 at that level. I am curious just to understand maybe how you guys view the the, the landscape of blockchains and crypto right now. So there is Alt L1s, right? Maybe Aptos, we say, 
Um, and, and maybe Monad kind of is in this space as well, but then it's also maybe slightly in the Venn diagram with uh, Ethereum as well, in, in, in a sense, right? And then there's, you know, Bitcoin, there's L2s, there's Solana, there's Cosmos, there's all these different things. How do you guys think of all these? How do you think this plays out? And, and where do you think Monad comes in? I personally think it's all about um, the applications that are ultimately built using one of these systems. I think that we're in a stage right now where, you know, there's just a lot of experimentation going on and, you know, we're ultimately trying to build the future rails for all financial settlement to happen. You know, it's really inefficient right now. Uh, T plus two settlement for equities and um, huge spreads that uh, banks take between the deposit rate that, you know, they're willing to give people yield on deposits and the rate at which they're loaning out. It's hugely, um, you know, huge amount of value extraction by middlemen and um, having decentralized, transparent and instantly settled financial rails for all finance to be settled on is incredibly powerful. But we're not there yet. We're just, you know, we're experimenting right now. And then all of us that are, you know, crypto natives that are using DeFi every day, we're just kind of you know, we're dogfooding, like we're the initial users that are trying stuff out. Um, but ultimately, everyone is, you know, trying stuff out, trying to build things that ultimately can be that, um, you know, service for everyone. So, you know, when you ask about like these different solutions, Bitcoin, Cosmos, uh, you know, Aptos, et cetera, these are all just different underlying infrastructure on which, you know, it's like a blank canvas that, uh, you know, that people can can build successful applications on. That's the only thing that really matters. Like, take the slightly spicier take on this one. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think that you can't get around physics, right? And so, like, all these blockchains are going to hit similar problems at some point. Um, and, like... I, I think like you you end up coming to like a realm where like the things you know Celestia's doing with data availability layers and like you know light clients are going to be needed like the things that we're doing with like execution optimization are going to be needed um, you know if you do fill up a base layer you might need layer twos like if crypto as a whole is maximally successful I think all these systems will converge just out of like basic need right um, and so. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different ways to like build these different scaling solutions. But at the end of the day, if we actually like get to the level of scale that we want, I think you just end up like not being able to get around physics at some point and have to put all these things together. Like, and so the nice thing about Ethereum that I've really enjoyed is there's such a rich and vibrant like research community. And so there's a lot you can lean on and kind of like pull in from all these different areas. Um, so, yeah. I'm curious when people come to you about the integrated versus modular debate, or some people say modular versus monolithic. Um, what are your high-level thoughts on that? And I think to have a direct question, why would, for example, Monad not use Celestia for DA? Um, I think like I think like the level of like scaling up to the limit of bandwidth we're going is like quite frankly like even more than Celestia. Um, uh, I think like as a it's really, it's that thing about like, you should scale up to the limit of what your pipe is. And then like the user can choose like what they want, you know? Um, so if they want to run a node from home, like just maximize that bandwidth. But 
if you want to run a node on like higher internet, like go ahead and do that. And I think um, like a lot of these systems, like DA systems have like a target of like some amount of megabytes per second. And I think this is more about thinking about it like, okay, well, we just need to like maximize the resources. And sometimes that's not like a set limit. It's like whatever we can get to, right? Um, and so, yeah, just like having the full stack solution allows you to like essentially push the bounds of like every part of the physics, right? Um, and so like, yeah, like monograded versus monolithic, like versus integrated or, or modular or whatever. I don't know. There's so many words these days. But <laughs> like I, I, the, the monolithic problem, it looks more like an embedded systems problem. So like I'm just more interested in it. Um, as far as like long-term solutions go, I guess like, um, like I think you end up getting like, even in like maximally successful monolithic land, like L2s are useful for certain things, right? Like game developers may not want like a fully globally state, you know, like they may want to have like all their things on like different interoperable like publishing layers, right? And so I think like all these solutions like essentially aim for different market segments, right? And different market segments are going to find these like interesting for their use cases. Um, but we're just kind of taking an approach that like the the typical app dev, right, is going to want to just like build products. And if we can abstract and give them a full stack solution um, so that they don't have to worry about these like infrastructure pieces, I think that's like a pretty strong value prop, right? Keone, you've talked a lot about applications and specifically, I think given your background, you've talked a good amount about financial and DeFi applications, which, um, you know, it just seems like it's something you're more interested in. Um, I have two questions for you. One is that um, what verticals are you interested in in crypto other than DeFi and finance? Like, what, what do you think Monad would be a good chain to build? You know, what types of applications? And two, so obviously maybe there's like Say who's like essentially picked the financial route for the blockchain. They want like exchanges and whatnot built on their chain. Would Monad ever do something like that and be more like vertically focused? Um, right. I think I'm super excited about high fidelity DeFi, um, like you said. But beyond that, I, I really think that uh, identity is really important and powerful. Um, I think that having achievements on chain, like things that you've done off chain that you could push on chain to be part of your, um, you know, passport, if you will, um, that's going to be really powerful in, in the coming years. I think that more people are embracing the idea of being anon or being uh, pseudonymous, like, um, and maybe even having like multiple personalities, having multiple identities in the, this new, you know, expectation, like it's not just your name and your resume and your LinkedIn and so on. It's like all the, you know, communities that you're part of and the NFTs you've collected and the, um, you know, achievements you've like, think of steam achievements or like think of Strava achievements. Like you go on a run, you know, you hit a, you know, like a 30 day run streak. Like you want to show that off. Um, I really think there's like another powerful primitive here that hasn't, hasn't really been explored um, or is starting to get explored with, um, you know, with some of the new social apps like friend tech. So I think that's another big area um, beyond that definitely really excited about just like growth of communities and the fact that nfts i know everyone's like really down on nfts um 
I mean, they're yeah, they're very, feeling very low about NFTs right now because uh, NFT prices have been like really down all year. Um, but I think NFTs do really, um, you know, build community in a really interesting way. And I'm I feel like you know coming years like that's not going to go away. It's going to we're at a low point right now in terms of like excitement about NFTs. There's so much more to come there as well. Keone, for the muggles in the back, can you maybe explain uh, real quickly high fidelity finance, like what that means? Yeah, high fidelity finance means basically uh, offering users uh, same or better experience than they currently have in traditional finance. Um, so in traditional finance, like you know, trading liquid things like trading S and P five hundred ETFs or S and P five hundred futures. You know, slippage is fractions of a basis point, like 0.3 basis points or, or less than that. That's the kind of experience that um, our team hopes will ultimately be achieved in decentralized finance. And the reason why we think Monad will be a significant contributor to that effort, obviously not the only contributor to that effort, but significant one is that Monad is enabling really low transaction fees, which are ultimately needed in order for liquidity providers to update their prices frequently and keep their liquidity very close to fair value. Um, so, you know, like prices are constantly moving around if you're not adjusting your quotes all the time. Um, if you're not able to adjust your quotes all the time because gas fees are too high to do that, then your quotes are going to be um, typically stale and like typically like not in range. And so then we end up um, as a crypto ecosystem designing for these different mechanisms like AMMs where the liquidity is spread across a much wider range in the extreme case over the entire price range from zero to infinity. Um, and that just means that the liquidity is spread really thin. So then when someone does go to do a trade, they experience extreme slippage like 1% or 2%, which are very normal in DeFi, but would be insane in traditional finance in most liquid markets. Monad is helping to bridge that gap by making transaction fees a lot lower so that um, in addition for the user who's making the making the swap, like the, the taker, um, in addition to the taker paying much lower gas fees on their actual trade, they're also interacting with liquidity that is much tighter because it was enabled by uh, much cheaper gas fees on the maker side um, over all those different price updates. Beyond that, uh, you know, another big aspect of high fidelity DeFi is having really precise pricing. So, um, you know, another thing that we're excited about in the early Monad ecosystem is high fidelity oracles that are pushing very frequent price updates from off chain from other sources, pushing it back on chain so that we have very precise pricing, which then can result in greater capital efficiency on all the downstream apps that are using uh, Oracle pricing, such as lending protocols or derivatives protocols. That higher capital efficiency is manifest in the form of higher LTV ratios or just more generally allowing people to take on more leverage. We know that, you know, uh, one of the reasons why Binance and Bybit and OKEx and some of these other centralized exchanges have gotten really successful is that they allow um, pretty high leverage um, on their trading. So you know, it doesn't really exist in derivatives right now because there's this capital efficiency coming from the fact that um, the providers can't trust the oracles very well because there's a lot of uh, big fudge factor in the Oracle price. So having a much pr more precise Oracle price can then ultimately result in these downstream effects that are ultimately lead to better capital efficiency, better user experience. So Kiwani, we've, we've talked a lot about kind of the tech side of, of, of Monad, but 
maybe in, in startups in general, something that might be more important is kind of distribution and, and messaging and go-to-market. Um, a lot of L1 so far, like maybe Atos and Sui actually have like pretty solid tech, but they haven't really gotten that much traction, which you know I think might be due to the fact that their messaging or distribution hasn't been that great. I mean, it's a bear market right now. What will like what what do you envision um Monad's messaging will be like, especially in like this adversarial environment of crypto, where I'm sure that people from uh you know Ethereum aligned communities might start saying, Oh, well, it's fast, the only way it must be fast is because hardware, whatever. How do you how are you guys thinking about communicating Monad's vision um to to people, to developers who want to build uh the future of crypto? Yeah, I think the first thing that I'd say is that um, when I try to imagine the Ethereum ecosystem, you know, I imagine this like, you know, uh, different it's a space and there's a couple different verticals in it. So there's optimistic rollups or one vertical, zero knowledge rollups or another vertical, data availability is another vertical, shared sequencing, like new emerging vertical, restaking, new vertical, parallel execution is a new vertical for the Ethereum ecosystem. So for us, we're, you know, our team is just really focused on enabling high performance execution and helping to move the space forward. Um, there are always going to be doubters, there are always going to be haters, um, but, you know, we have to just focus on our mission, focus on what we set out to do, which is to move the space forward by making execution a lot more performant and then um, support, uh, you know, really um, listen to the community and listen to the fact that people are excited about trying to push the crypto space forward by addressing some of these problems. I don't think that, you know, like it's a big space. There's a lot of different problems to be solved to ultimately um, build apps that are better than uh, existing centralized versions of apps. Um, that's ultimately the mission is to help decentralized apps, uh, you know, eat the world to help them take over the, the space that's currently occupied by all these centralized players. And I think there's some areas where um, decentralized apps have an advantage right now. Um, and there's some areas where, you know, they're currently at a disadvantage. And our team's mission is just to help address some of those problems, address some of those shortcomings, but then also to try to work with other people in the space who are addressing some of the other problems. So just to mention really briefly, like I think some of the areas that um, ultimately need to improve in order to help decentralized apps uh, gain more market share and take over the world. It's transaction fees. It's um, generally the the high amount of slippage or low amount of liquidity um, when users are interacting with decentralized finance. Um, it is user experience. Um, so like unfamiliarity of like wallets and having to approve each transaction and like having to keep your private keys safe. Um, and then the large amount of hacks that are in the space. And Monad can contrib uh, contribute significantly in a couple of those areas, specifically, um, you know, lowering transaction fees substantially, um, enabling an environment where there's much better liquidity, lower slippage. And then on the security side, hopefully, um, by making, by making um, basically uh, execution much cheaper, um, we hope that it means that app developers will be able to include more defensive assertions, um, defend invariance, ensure that properties that should be true are always true, that should always be true are indeed true at all times. Having those defensive assertions in their code 
by making execution a lot cheaper so that developers aren't trading off between gas efficiency and safety. Uh, but we can't solve all the problems, and there are going to be other people in the space that are contributing in other areas that we're not as good at. So I think just having a very cooperative mindset and knowing that we're not, we don't have all the answers to everything, but we're going to do our part. And then, um, you know, listening to the community and taking the feedback, I think, are the ways that we can, um, you know, defend against, you know, inevitable occasional fodder that comes on. All right. Well, let's have some fun. I'm going to do rapid fire now. Okay. I'll just ask you guys short form questions. Um, I'll ask, and then you guys can answer in the order of Kevin and Keone. Um, and yeah. All right. Um, what scares you the most, or what do you fear the most about Monad? I don't really know. I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> like, uh, like the thing that kind of attracted me to it is, is it's just like, it's a, like a, it's a good idea. Like it, you know, and so like, it's a pretty obviously good idea. <laughs> so, I don't know what really scares me the most. Uh, like I geek out on the tech, so like maybe that the tech doesn't work out, but like, uh, these guys have been building pretty high performance systems for a while. So I have faith. <laughs> for me, what scares me the most is if there's a massive, massive hack, um, either in Monad or, um, yeah, just even more broadly in, in the crypto space. I think that, you know, security is something we also have to take, we all have to take extremely seriously. And um, yeah, it's like, it's, you know, real people's money that is on the line. So um, just, that's probably the thing that scares me the most. What would you say is the most overrated idea in crypto? I guess my most spicy take is I'm I'm worried that uh, rollups lead to like the same systems with different gatekeepers, um, and, and that's really just like my worry. I guess. <laughs> I think it's just anything that's not really thought out, but that sounds right. Um, the thing that is makes it tough to answer that question is I'm not sure if it's just my lack of knowledge that means I don't, you know, understand something super well, but there's something really exciting going on there. Um, gone to head, I would say shared sequencing because at the end of the day, there is, um, you know, like limited amount of bandwidth. So actually I'll, I'll take that back. I don't know. I don't, I think it's fine for um, like potentially like rollups that have very limited capacity expectations. Um, yeah, I think it's fine, but just if it's portrayed as something that could deliver really high performance, then I think that uh, that's something that doesn't necessarily make sense. What is one app you think everyone should try in crypto? Probably just normal payments, honestly. Like it's like such an obviously good use case and like yeah i don't know like i've needed to send money to people like overseas and it's just like very easy you know, versus like dealing with moneygram and all this stuff so like yeah i, I like I, I don't know i have a guide in nepal but i like during covid i, I like helped him out a little bit right um, uh, and like it was just like i was like hey can you make a crypto wallet like this is so much easier you know, and like having that, like, very, you know, I could just send him a couple hundred bucks, which was like, a, you know, like it's like two months worth of 
is like living right <laughs> and so it was like yeah like that was, that was pretty cool it's like really what makes it click you know i would say nfts uh but i would say not like buying super crazy expensive nfts but just buying some low value ones that have you know fun vibrant community i think there are a lot out there right now what does everyone get wrong about monad the pronunciation. I was like, I can answer that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> you had the meme, Monad, Mo Problems. It's confusing, but it to is, clear it up yeah. for everyone, it's Monad. It's Monad. Pokemonad. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Well, okay. I'll ask. Uh, <laughs> Keone got me with that one. Um, what is, in your view, the most underrated vertical in crypto? Probably like rich data sets. Um, like bringing that sort of like yeah, I, I think like uh, the, the people who are thinking about like how to bring verifiable Web2 data on, like so that you can do very like data rich applications. I think that is um, probably a little bit underrated right now. That's a good one. I think I would have said uh, social, but now that front tech is really hot past like three weeks, it's hard to say that. What are your thoughts on Frontech? I think it's great. I think they just need to continue tweaking. Um, there's a lot of, uh, it just feels like, you know, they probably know that there's a lot of improvements they want to make. But if you're a team of like uh, five or six people, then it's really hard to like make all those changes all at once. I, I mean, clearly, you know, the price per uh, key needs to be lower, like it needs to be possible for there to be a lot more holders, more functionality in the chat. Maybe some way to have like all to all chats instead of just uh, you know leader to all all to leader type communications. Uh, but it is really it's exciting. And then like I don't know, you wouldn't sell your friends. So um, <laughs> I think there's also some potential staying power there. They also need to figure out a way to like make it so that people can become uh, you know like notable strictly via friend tech. Um, like right now, it's kind of like, you know, a replication. It's a microcosm of Twitter, but it's like a very much a replication of like who has a lot of followers on Twitter. Then they're the ones that have the highest price shares. I don't know. Maybe also like the pr price should matter less. Like it should be more about like vol volume of messages somehow instead of just like, you know, volume of keys traded. All right. Last question. In three years... What do you hope in the best case scenario? What does Monad look like? I mean, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not the CEO, <laughs> so. <laughs> but I mean, like, I, I hope it looks like a like a actual like very scalable ecosystem where you can build like consumer facing products on it, you know, and take advantage of composability. I think um, a lot of like things have been limited by composability. Uh, like as much as even on the single state, like um, state machines, like on, on um, you know, the EVM, you're limited by gas, right? You can only compose so far before transactions get very, very expensive. Um, on Solana right now, you can only go CPI depth to three. Um, and so I think like providing like a place where you can really compose at like another level um, could really open up some really, really cool stuff. So I, I would like to see like composability taken to like, 
you know, stratospheres that we haven't seen before, right? And like building on all these cool apps and like primitives we have with social and DeFi and like all of a sudden not being limited and what you can put together when you're like making a cool app. I think uh, the absolute best case scenario three years from now is that, you know, when you're walking around on the street, everyone has a cell phone in their pockets. Like everyone has a bunch of apps on their phone that are under, that have its underlying uh, monad that's powering those applications. And there's new social applications, new decentralized finance apps um, that are, you know, all used by many people on the street that you're just, you know, walking around everyday people. All right, I've got one one final one. So mm. one of the advantages of building with the EVM is that it's easier for teams to like port over. I know there'd be some differences that you support parallel execution. How do you see, do you think more teams will be like coming from Ethereum to build on Monad? Or do you think it's more likely that you'll have native teams and applications building there? I think it'll be a mix. I mean, there's definitely a learning curve, but I would say the learning curve is less about um, learning solidity and more about like learning how to build a successful Web3 product. Um, you know, it's like building a startup is really hard. Um, there, there's a lot of lessons that I have learned as a first time founder that like, you know, now if I were to start over again, like probably would have been way more efficient about doing things. So I think that like, you know, traversing that learning curve is a really big thing. And so there definitely will be projects in Monad that you know, are being built by teams that have have some experience, like it isn't their first rodeo, and therefore, you know, they know like how hard it is and, and what things you really have to get right. Whether that's like the exact same application that's been redeployed, like you said, that's very easy. Um, you know, by full bytecode compatibility, so they can literally just redeploy. Um, but, you know, also the more complex case where they're building a new application taking advantage of the more open design space that's unlocked by Monad's throughput. Uh, but maybe they're an existing team that knows how to work together and then is building something that they're really excited about that they can use, they can take advantage of Monad's uh, design space for. Yeah, okay. I think I'm like really excited about like just the expansion of the design space. Like it, it just like goes back to the composability thing. It's like all these teams from the EVM, you know, they have their pro like initial products, but like what, what happens when you take like the limits off of how they can compose or how like what they can do, right? And so just really seeing like hopefully like a Cambrian explosion, you know, down that path, like on Monad, you know, based off things that were maybe originally thought of on the EVM. I did lie. I, I have I have just a final <laughs> question based off what Keone just said. Um, so Keone, you said you made a lot of mistakes as any startup founder would, um, and as I have as well. What is maybe the number one advice you would give to aspiring startup founders? The biggest advice I have or biggest learning I have is just trying to be really fast. Um, like, you know, that that manifests in a number of different forms, obviously with respect to the product, like just trying to iterate as quickly as possible and get feedback. Um, but then also, like, just in terms of everything else, like, I think of it as similar to going to the gym. Like if you, you know, like if you have a, I've been, you know, actually currently in this state of life right now where I'm like, oh man, I should really go to the gym. Maybe I'll go in half an hour. Maybe I'll go and like, you know, when I, when I get free, I'm going to do this other thing first. I'll go tomorrow. Like, and then you end up not doing it. Um, so just having like that discipline to say like, nope, I'm going to go right now at 7 PM. Like I always go at 7 PM. Um, being similarly, like just very reactive, very fast, um, 
I'm, I'm sure you guys have encountered this as well, but like just trying to be really fast at like actioning on anything that you can as soon as it happens, like as soon as an inbound message comes in, respond immediately. Otherwise it might slip two days and then you might never respond, like just stuff like that. Um, so just having that mentality that that's the expectation and, you know, having that discipline. Um, I think in the early days we, you know, we didn't, you didn't have that level of focus or we were like, okay, yeah, I'll get around to that, but I'm doing this other thing. It's hard to multitask, hard to context switch, but that's just, that's life. Like that's, that's part of um, being part of an early stage startup. Keone, Kevin, thanks so much for coming on. I think everyone's really excited to see Monad and bringing parallel execution to the EVM and just what you can do. And, and also I think that'll contribute to the Ethereum community and also Solana and so forth. So thanks so much for joining. I'm excited to see where you guys go. It's great being on guys. Sweet. We'll see you next time.